Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. The price to fill up your vehicle is at record levels in Arizona, but no matter the price, where does all that fuel come from? Fuel for your vehicle does not just magically appear at the gas station. And while we're all very aware of the cost of a gallon of gasoline or diesel right now, our production assistant, Itai Sofer, discovered people don't know where that fuel comes from. Do you know where your Tucson gas comes from? I do not. Uh, not in particular. It's just not something I've thought of before. I mean, I've been, I'm, especially just because I've been within the medical field, I mean, we've talked about public health before. So, you know, we'll have conversations about, you know, um, different variations of like, you know, how is water filtrated? Where is it filtrated? Different basins and all that sort of stuff. But um, that's one I have not thought of. So, <laughs> Do you know where your local Tucson gas comes from? No. <laughs> I guess I'll have to look into that since it's a big issue now. Do you know where your local Tucson gas is coming from? Uh, no, I don't. I know it could be sourced in the U.S., Canada, um, sometimes Mexico, and, uh, and Europe, but I, I'm not certain. I would like to know. So now that you've asked the question, um, I'm curious about it. The answer to the question of where the fuel that powers southern Arizona comes from is a complicated one. Let's start back at the beginning. The oil. About a hundred countries produce oil, but five of them produce about half of the world's petroleum, according to the Federal Energy Information Agency. In 2020, which is the most recent data, 15% of the world's oil came from the U.S., making it the largest producer, followed by Russia, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Canada. So where does the oil that makes the fuel for southern Arizona come from? Most of that oil is refined in the Houston, Texas area or in California. Plenty of it is domestic, Texas being responsible for 43% of the nation's oil production, according to the federal government. The refineries do get foreign oil, though. In 2021, according to the EIA, Colombia, Canada, and Mexico were the top foreign countries supplying oil to Houston-area refineries. They also got oil from Ecuador, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. For California refineries, Iraq, Russia, and Brazil were the largest suppliers of foreign oil. At the refineries, all of the oils are mixed together, so there's really no way to know where that gallon of gas you just put in your car originated. Once the oil is refined into fuel, how does it get to Arizona? For that answer, we turn to Alan Ford, the vice president of public affairs for the pipeline company Kinder Morgan. One of the things that is surprising to people is just how much of the the gasoline supply, the gasoline products, we're talking about gasoline for cars, trucks, etc., diesel and jet fuel, uh, comes to Arizona through pipeline. And for the most part, it's, it's pretty much all of it um, is, is pipeline driven. Now, that, now, a lot of states do get a majority of their project product from uh, pipelines, but usually there are other pipelines that provide it in addition to ours in some sense or a combination of trucks or ships or other things. But Arizona being the landlocked state that it is, and because of the already long-term existence of our pipeline system, it is the primary uh, destination point for 
or receipt, receipt point for uh, petroleum products uh, from Kinder Morgan Pipeline. And let me talk a little more more about that. Uh, so if you're looking at um, you know consumption on a daily basis in Arizona, um, some recent figures, I think these are a few years back, but um, it's approximately around over 8 million barrels per day of product that is is used by Arizona, and that could be Arizona motorists and and others related to some type of a of a usage aspect of of gasoline, diesel, petroleum uh, products. We have two major hubs in Arizona: one in Phoenix, and uh, one in Tucson. Uh, and these are large storage facilities. So the storage facilities, for example, uh, in Phoenix, we have. 61 tanks that hold approximately 1.9 million barrels. And another, uh, in our Tucson terminal, uh, we have about 825,000 barrels. So if you're thinking about, if you look at the consumption of around 8 million gallons per day, and then the storage that we have at our Phoenix terminal, which primarily serves the northern part of the state, and our Tucson terminal, which primarily serves the southern part of the state, uh, you've got a, a fairly robust uh, a supply uh, in the state, uh, not only for every day, but for a period of time as, as uh, uh, the product draws down in the facilities and is replenished by the pipeline. So it is coming in by pipeline. So we have uh, uh, two pipelines coming in from El Paso. So the ones coming from, from the east, uh, are from El Paso, and they're from refineries in there. So the refined product gets in the, in our, into our system there. And one of those is a direct service to Tucson. The other one goes near Tucson, but then goes to Phoenix, and it's primarily for use in Phoenix. So a dedicated line to Tucson, but also another line uh, that's going to Phoenix that also could be utilized for Tucson as needed. Uh, and then Phoenix has the line coming up from El Paso through Tucson, also has a uh, pipeline coming from the West, uh, from California, from refineries to uh, service exclusively um, Phoenix. Let me answer this in a couple ways. Uh, the first part is you, you don't need a, an exclusive pipeline for each and every uh, product that you transport. So, in other words, we don't need a separate line for gasoline, a separate line for diesel, a separate line for jet fuel. And the reason we're able to do that is because you can uh, batch the product. In other words, you send one part of product right behind the next. Um, and we know how much exactly is, is going to be put into which tank, but you can send gasoline and then follow that by diesel and then follow that by jet fuel in the same pipeline to the terminal. And then it's separated into separate tanks at the terminal facility. So that's that's the way you're able to get lots of product in not very many pipelines. You could actually all have all that in one, but as I mentioned, we have three servicing the, the, the Arizona market. And then when you talk about the distinction of product at a facility uh, by brand, for example, you know, you've got Shell, you've got uh, BP, you've got all, all these various uh, 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 gas providers uh, and companies that, that actually are the, on, on the retail side, if you will. In other words, you drive up to a gas station and, and uh, buy their gas. 
not only do they have their brand, but then they have uh, different types of it. So you may have a uh, a shell type that is supercharged or has uh, some name to it that gives it a special distinction. You often see this advertised on television or, or, or at the pump itself. So all that is done at our facility. Uh, so when, for example, if you have unleaded, premium unleaded coming in, um, that is all the same. It's one premium unleaded. So there's no difference between the premium unleaded itself. What what makes the distinction is what the company adds to it uh, at at our facility. So they may uh, and they may have some special additive of some sort that does something to the gas that makes it better for a certain type of engine or whatever that might be. But they have their distinction. I often compare it and describe it at one time. You know, the new the new uh, soda dispensing machines, uh, you see these where they have, you can get basic Coke, but then you can add on about six different things into it. You can add, you know, lemon, or you can add on uh, some type of spritzer or something. So you push the buttons and you get all this, this thing that makes Coke distinctive. But all Coke but it adds in those those layers of distinction. Uh, and that's what happens at, at our facility. So it comes in by pipe and then is stored at the tanks at the facilities, and then trucks come in, the tanker trucks, and take that to market. Uh, and market being gas stations servicing uh, really all of the state of Arizona. So if you're closer to the, the Phoenix Terminal, those trucks are in that service area. But the trucks come out. Our facilities are 24-7 operation. So if you look at if you're near our Phoenix or, or Tucson terminals, you can see activity going on all day and into the night and overnight. Uh, whenever the drivers uh, uh, have in their schedule to go, it's available. It's basically a self-service operation, effectively, where they can come in and and uh, with training uh, know exactly what they need to uh, uh, do to to get that product into their truck and their codes that are put into that. So it's a very efficient operation. And that helps cut down on truck traffic at peak hours and times, et cetera, too. And the truck drivers and, and the retailers can coordinate on that aspect. So our pipeline also is operation 24-7 uh, as well, uh, transporting the product on a continuous basis. And, um, and and so the supply lines are in continuous operation. And, and, and whenever there is that daily drawdown of, of product, there's – product coming in additionally to to replenish those tanks. So I hope that was helpful in a big 10,000-foot view of of how our operations work and how we get gasoline and diesel and jet to to Arizona. When it comes to the individual retailers, again, whether whether it be Valero or Shell or BP or whoever, does the individual retailer pay you for the load, or are they paying— you know, BP, Valero, whoever. Yeah, so so our role in this is the transportation and storage piece. That's what we get paid for. And our shippers are the individuals that pay that. So they're working out once it leaves, who comes and picks it up and gets the destination. Those retailers are going to work with the shippers on, on that piece of the arrangement. We're just handling the logistics component. That was Alan Four, the Vice President for Public Affairs with Kinder Morgan. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. So far, we've learned that the oil that makes the fuel we use in southern Arizona comes from all over the world and the country. And we've learned that it arrives here through a pipeline to a terminal. 
But you and I don't go to the terminal to fill up. That's where Jerry Kachenko and Arizona Petroleum enter the picture. Customers will place orders to, with companies like ours, and we'll go to the community pipeline terminal. Uh, and the ironic thing is most people have seen it and driven by it and don't even know they're looking at it. Um, if, if you're going to the airport, uh, you, when you get to the uh, Gulf Links uh, Ajo area, uh, you'll notice off to the northwest that there, there's a, a large amount of very big tanks. And uh, that's where the gas supply and diesel supply is for all of southern Arizona. Everybody goes there to pick it up like we do and deliver it to the different gas stations or farms or trucking companies that bring different commodities around town. On the fuel side, since you also do blending of motor oils and things like that, but on the fuel side, your driver pulls up to the terminal, fills the truck with whatever is there, and then you just drive it to your customers. I know things that people have often wondered is they, you know, they see the truck come up to the station refilling the tanks while we're all filling our cars. Are the tanks in your trucks, are, how are they separated? Or do you get a whole load of regular unleaded and another truck gets a whole load of middle, the mid-grade or a whole load of the premium? Or are they separated internally? How does that work? Most people think when they pull up to the gas station, the stand on the island that you holster the nozzle and the hose into has an infinite amount of gas, and it doesn't. Uh, it's, it's strictly the pumping system drying the gas out of the tank at the station. If you look around, you'll see some manhole covers, and that, that's where the tanks are. Sometimes you'll see a semi-truck or trailer uh, with a hose connected to the ground, which they're making a delivery to that station. Um, one fueling tip, when you see that, don't fuel up for about an hour because you, he's stirring up everything in the tank and you may pick up some of that in your, your car and it'll plug your fuel filter. You'll get, if you're getting plugged fuel filters, that possibly could be why. Uh, so just a little tip, don't do that. Um, but uh, that truck is making a delivery with product he's gotten from the Kinder Morgan community terminal where the pipelines come into town. Uh, the pipelines are coming from LA through Phoenix to Tucson or from Houston through El Paso to Tucson. Um, when they get the order, uh, the trucking company, they will go there to the terminal. They'll pick up the fuel. It'll usually be either all unlead, which is in the, in a semi-truck, you're looking at about 8,000 gallons of gasoline. Uh, it could be all unlead. It could be uh, mostly unlead with, uh, you know, 6,000 and 2,000 gallons of premium gas. Uh, it could be uh, broken down with diesel fuel for some diesel use at that particular station. Um, but uh, uh, what 
what you don't want to do is if you're getting frustrated with high prices is take it out on the poor guy behind the counter uh, because he he's, he or she is not the one dictating the price and neither is the poor guy delivering the, the truckload of fuel. He That's beyond him and your anger's completely misdirected. Um, when when it comes to fuel prices, a station, if they're lucky, are gonna they're gonna try to get five, maybe eight cents a gallon. All they're looking for is if they're lucky to pay the electric bill for the station. Um, you figure you figure if you go in, you get ten dollars worth of gas, you buy a cup of coffee, you're paying maybe three bucks for the cup of coffee you're paying 45 bucks for the 10 gallons of gas so obviously you're angry about the gas but the reality is for 10 gallons at eight cents you're only the store only made 80 cents on you it probably cost them 80 cents to make the cup of coffee so they're actually making more money on the coffee that you paid three bucks for than on the on the 10 gallons of gasoline. Um, so that's why I say, you know, to put it in perspective, it's, it, your anger's misdirected. Um, and, and the same with the truck driver. Uh, in our industry, if we can get $200 on a truckload, we're doing good. The thing that most people don't realize is 8,000 gallons times $4 a gallon, you're looking at $32,000 for a truckload of fuel to make $200. Now, if somebody doesn't pay you for that fuel, like years ago, there was a trucking uh, truck stop company called Gas City. Uh, a company like that will take several truckloads per day and they don't pay for it for seven days. Now, when they went bankrupt, every delivery they received over the last seven days was never paid for. Now, at $200 profit per truckload, how many bankruptcies can you handle pay getting paid back on? It, <laughs> it takes a long time. And that, when that kind of thing happens, it takes a lot of companies down with it, which people don't realize. So you have to be very, very careful. And I would think right now with the price of gas going up, or maybe it's a little steady, but it's certainly higher than where it was, you all have to pay that too. So your profit margin, because you have to drive the gas around and use gas to do so, it's lower. That, that, that's another thing a lot of people don't really comprehend because they don't, you have to sit down and really notice it that uh, your grocery stores without without diesel fuel or gasoline your grocery stores would be empty of merchandise and they'd be empty with employees uh, the malls the hardware store uh, every business out there you know uh, during the pandemic a lot of people uh, you know, talked about the frontline workers. 
uh, you had nurses and doctors and firefighters and police and you know thank God for them and, and God bless them for what they did uh, but we weren't frontliners but in our supply chain for fuel without us getting up and doing what we do every day the police cars would have not been on the road uh, you wouldn't have been able to take your loved ones to the doctor or the hospital or go to the grocery store because there wouldn't have been employees or product at the stores uh, you know, th there's a lot to be said for the fuel. It, it, uh, it, it drives our entire economy. That was Jerry Kachenko with Arizona Petroleum. Not every vehicle on the road needs gasoline or diesel anymore. Electric vehicles are becoming more and more popular. The Alliance for Automotive Innovation recently reported that during the fourth quarter of 2021, close to 188,000 electric vehicles were sold in the U.S. It was a slight decrease over the third quarter of the year, but year-over-year year electric vehicle sales rose 69%, according to the report. In Arizona during 2021, electric vehicles represented about 6% of the market share of all vehicles, which is right at the national average according to the report. Those increasing sales happened before the most recent spike in gas prices. As Tony Paniagua reports, drivers of electric vehicles aren't feeling the pain at the pump when they fuel up. The current price of gasoline in Tucson is about $4.50 a gallon. Most of us have experienced the sticker shock, but Rush Doherty is not really keeping track. He doesn't have to. I couldn't care less, to be honest with you. I use gas stations. I go in, I go to the bathroom, or I get something to eat, and basically it's a convenience store. Doherty is an industrial designer and a founding member of TEVA, the Tucson Electric Vehicle Association. In the early 2000s, he and others were interested in transforming cars for personal use. I wanted to do conversions. Uh, it would seem such a logical idea to be able to take an existing car uh, and, and convert it, take out the gasoline engine, and then put an electric motor into it and batteries and be able to have an electric car without actually going out and purchasing one. And it was really in the beginning that electric cars were starting to become popular. So at that point, there really weren't that many around. During that time, he was living about 25 miles west of Tucson, which required a large and cumbersome battery pack in his conversion to drive to the city. So more than a dozen years after co-founding the Electric Vehicle Association, he did spend about $49,000 to upgrade his car. I've only had uh, my Tesla for a couple of years now. I got it in 2019. Uh, I love it. I think it's fantastic. The acceleration is just enormous. Fun to drive. He also says it's gotten more convenient to charge at home or on the road. That answers a common concern known as range anxiety. How far can you really drive an electric car? Shortly after buying his Tesla, Doherty made a round-trip excursion from Tucson to New York. He typed the destinations into his car center console, and the computer provided a list of places where he could get his Tesla supercharged. And it was just incredible. And I figured out later that I drove something like, I think it was 5,500 miles, and it cost me $307 in terms of supercharger, which I think worked out to $0.07, cents, seven, $0.08 cents a mile, something like that. 
And uh, I find that incredible in terms of just cost. He did have to stop every two and a half to three hours for that charge. But he says he did not mind since he could eat or stretch his legs more frequently than if he were driving several hours at a time. It actually made the drive more comfortable. Just like Rush Doherty, David Giebert is a huge fan of electric vehicles. He paid $32,000 for his car. I got my Nissan Leaf in 2015, and uh, I love it. It's quiet, zippy, it's fun, fun to drive. Giebert is the president of the Tucson Electric Vehicle Association, and he also owns a Tesla now. We try to show our cars and educate people to how easy it is to go electric. Basically, we call it butts-in seats. A lot of people are converted by just taking a ride. They may not know or have any idea of what it's like, but uh, giving people a ride, uh, maybe letting them drive, is uh, a way to convert. And in today's climate of improved technology, increased environmental awareness, and rising gas prices, EV supporters are optimistic. The future is electric. Presently, according to statistics, less than 1% of the nation's vehicles on the road are electric, although a growing number of consumers are steering in that direction. It's easier than you think, and you can get used to it very easily. The big hump is the initial price, but the overall upkeep is close to nothing. Imagine paying 30 bucks a month to travel 1,200 miles. It'll take a paradigm shift from previous generations, Tiva members say, but that journey has already started in California and other states. Millions of new EVs are expected to be sold in the next decade, regardless of gas prices at the pump. I hardly even notice uh, gas prices except when they're on the news. But basically, uh, I'm paying the same I was two years ago for my electric, and, uh, and nothing goes up and down at anybody's whim. That's part of the reason I like going electric. Another, my main reason was uh, all my cars were old cars, uh, 10, 20, 30 years old, and I really got tired of going to emissions. For The Buzz, I'm Tony Paniagua. And that's The Buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Samantha Larned and Etai Sofer were our production assistants this week. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.